my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Anthony Paponi. He is a corporate trainer and motivational speaker specializing in happiness and well-being to improve team dynamics, um, improve communication, improve trust in productivity. His work is based on the research in the fields of neuroplasticity, positive psychology, and leadership. Anthony is a jokester from birth and self-admitted lover of rural downtowns as much as wild spaces. He specializes in putting joy back into our workplaces and in our communities through workshops and keynotes to support human flourishing and unlocking the potential of our teams. So this, uh, we had a brief conversation before um, beginning the recording and uh, I, I've got a really good feeling about this conversation. Um, I, first, let me just say thank you for, for allowing this conversation to happen and, and coming on the show, because I think what you're going to share with me and, and the audience is, is uh, some valuable stuff. So uh, thank you, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Before we dive into what it is that, that you're doing these days, um, let's start off with where you were born and raised and, and maybe uh, some of the more influential characters in your early life. I think characters is definitely the word on some of those people, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I was born and raised in Woodbury, New Jersey, which is uh, near, it's in the southern part of New Jersey near Philadelphia. And I lived there until I was uh, 17 years old. And it was an interesting upbringing. And I, I speak about this a lot in my uh, in my talks and my workshops, lived in poverty from the time I was about five until the time I was about 12. I uh, had a pretty stable uh, ex like exterior circle around that, really good grandparents. My dad was in my life, but lived in poverty and that was pretty powerful and pretty painful, you know, and, and um, I would say that, well, you only know what you know, but I knew more than what my own life was. And so I think that we know also from the research out there that you know, those early childhood experiences can have significant uh, impacts on us. And we can do something about that. And you speak to PTSD uh, in your with your podcast guests, I'm sure. But uh, that was, it was, it's been something that's been really powerful for me to understand, to honor, and then also to unwind it, you know, and to, and to recognize what those patterns can look like, and then, and then how to get out of my own way, um, based on, you know, fear, scarcity, all those things. But I've bounced around quite a bit. I lived in Georgia after that, and then Florida, and then the Caribbean, and Colorado, and Hawaii, and now I'm in um, in Bend, Oregon, and I love it. And it's got a rural downtown, sort of. It's kind of a bigger town now, but uh, it's surrounded by wild spaces, so I get a little bit of both. Uh, to your question about character, uh, I was I was just asked the other day of like, you know, who's somebody that was really influential with you when you were younger? And it's this gentleman named Tim Teaslow, who I just spoke to this weekend. 
he owns a company called Linear Contracting in Georgia. And when I moved uh, to Georgia, it was 1990. And I was a boy named Anthony Paponi moving to rural Georgia in 1990. And I'm glad I made it through. And uh, and the town that I moved to at the time was called, it's called Swanee, Georgia. It's built up now, but it had two, two waffle houses, one on either side of the highway, a gas station, a liquor store, and a Piggly Wiggly, which is a supermarket there. And uh, I worked for Tim for off and on for many, many years when I was in college. And he um, it was working in this design build engineering firm and they groomed me to be the to take over the business. And I didn't understand why or how, like why somebody would think that I was worthy of that, you know, at the time. And uh, so I think it it set an expectation in me of just like elevating kind of, you know, the, what would I guess you would call the, the floor on what what I should be doing with my life and what I should be achieving. Where, where did you go to college? You mentioned uh, University of Georgia. Okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> it's better than okay. We're national champions of football. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got to brag it. Brag about it. it took us yeah. three years to get there. <laughs> what, what was your major course of study there? Uh, biology. And, um, you know, one of the questions that always comes up for me is um is you know how did i get into this sphere of work that i'm doing now is that i've always had an appreciation for science and i've always had a desire to be front and center you know i have uh, attention seeking behavior sure and uh and but i always appreciated like i appreciated science but i figured out that i wasn't a really good scientist like if it came down to detail and rigor and like that you know those sort of things those don't light me up but what lights me up is like understanding the complexity of situations and then making that palatable to the public so I've done a lot of that work where I've been the person over there like, hey, we need someone to give a presentation on this thing about whatever research we're doing. It's like, oh, I want to do that. Like, you know, and uh, and that's really helped me build those skills over time of, of the professional speaking part of it. And it's also kind of come full circle in the sense that I'm really deeply um, into positive psychology, which is at the University of Pennsylvania is kind of where it was founded. And it's super rigid, rigorous science as rigorous as what we know about regular psychology. Um, and so I just love that part of it, and I can trust the science behind it, and that it's the stuff that comes forward from them is not just someone's opinion, it's like legit, proven, useful to human beings. Before we dig into that, one of the yeah. things that you kind of alluded to was the ACES study. I, I've talked yeah. a yeah. little bit about that on here, and um, and I, I'm wondering if, if you'd be willing to share maybe some of your uh your early experiences that you know I, I feel like a lot of times people feel like they're the only ones that this stuff has happened to and right. the reality is is that it's like you know over 90 percent of the population has had some rough shit happen to them yeah and yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there but and i think we under i think we including myself I used to underestimate the significance of those early uh, adverse experiences. And now I know that we, I can't, you know, now I know that I have to, I have to pay attention to those. And I've done a lot to resolve a lot of those issues. And now I feel, you know, it's been really helpful. I wish I had found it earlier, I guess, you know, but you can only find things when you're ready for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, the ACEs work and, you know, I, I don't know how we, we don't have to go super deep on, on the definition, but it's a super quick criteria of questions. And you just give yourself a point for every one of those adverse things. And I, I, I think I'm around a three and a half. And it was like, 
because my parents were divorced. Well, a lot of us experience that and we don't think of, of that as an adverse experience when it really is. I mean, it's really significant, you know? And then there was some um, uh, mental illness slash drug abuse on one and on um, one side of my family. I, I was a, I wasn't a victim, but I, I saw domestic violence. So I saw the results of domestic violence. And then there was one other one, oh, scarcity with food or, or clean clothing. You know, that was definitely a part of my childhood. So I say I'm like, a, you know, somewhere in there around a three and a half. That's not a great number. You know, like that's, that's enough for the ACE survey to say that you can have some significant mental and um, health consequences from that without resolving those. And so I, I feel lucky that, you know, that I had, you know, those buffering factors that they talk about that can, that can mitigate those impacts. I, um, it, it's funny that this topic should come up to today. Uh, my, my fiance is a licensed clinical social worker. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny. So yeah, I, I need to be with somebody like her. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully um, she feels the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she, she, I think she does. <laughs> um, I don't know that you should have her on as a guest, but yeah, <laughs> I might unwind some things that you're not ready for yet. <laughs> well, what was interesting is, you know, she's constantly doing training, getting new certifications. And one of the, the segments of some training she was doing this, this past weekend was um, on the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. And uh, she was like, have you ever done the survey? And I'm like, yeah, but I... I don't know. I, I just kind of half-assed it because it just seemed a little rough to really dig too deep. Yep. You know, like I, I was afraid I was going to check every box. So I just stopped mm -hmm. um, and went through it. And uh, she, she scored me at a seven. And uh, I was like, all right, so what does that mean for my <laughs> my lifespan and all that because it has some real implications and oh, yeah. um and thankfully and one of the things that she said is that i have been doing the work and um and i and i really work hard at living a healthy lifestyle so um without being armed with that knowledge and and it being not necessarily framed in the ace kind of framework but you know through um through work that i've done having that that realization that if i don't work really hard at addressing these issues there's going to be so many more um and then what's interesting is that people that uh, what I found is that a lot of uh, people that go into service that that work really hard at you know helping other people whatever the occupation tend to have you know a higher ACE score um, you know law enforcement uh, 
fire rescue, EMS, medicine, you know, nursing, that kind of thing. They tend to have those experiences. And um, it's those occupations that also uh, put us in situations where we see a lot of bad stuff. Oh, yeah. And having those adverse childhood experiences kind of, well, the research shows that it predisposes you to PTSD. Like you're at a higher risk for experiencing PTSD like symptoms than somebody that doesn't have uh, a lot of, uh, we're a higher score on that ACE scale. So um, I, I think it's like really cool to, to be having this conversation with you, especially just on the, on the tail of that conversation I had with her. Um, because one of the things that you said before we started recording was your message is, is how to find happiness even through those dark times, you know, realizing like after the fact that, you know, that's really what puts us where we're at now. Or, you know, when we find that good space in our life without those bad times, maybe we couldn't appreciate where we're at right now, or yeah. we wouldn't have what we have right now. And I just wanted to kind of explore your personal experience and, and really how you develop this message and mindset. Um, Cause I know it didn't just happen overnight. Like you, you're pretty successful at what you do. And um, I don't know, pretty funny guy. And like, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to, to really get some of the background on you and, and, really your your current message well i think you pulled on a couple of really interesting threads there and i would love to to understand like what's going on with people in, in service you know and like what what's going on there and if they do have higher ac scores and all that i think it creates an opportunity for more empathy right you know a situation of like showing up on a scene and somebody's in a bad situation that they might have caused themselves and how your, you know, your job there is not to, to look down upon them. Your job is there to help them and to serve them in that situation. Maybe easier to do when you have your own lived experience and that whole space of just being like, hey man, I've seen this happen before. I understand where this can come from and I'm here to support you, you know? And so that's interesting. Um, there's something else there. I mean, when we talk about, there's really about five significant parts to what, like where we can find human happiness. Some of it is in that the harder stuff, the stuff that you alluded to, and we can we can talk on that for sure. One of those things I think in the harder part is service. It's very much like other focused, you know, and and so I think that's a really big deal. And you know, having the a connection to something that's bigger than yourself, uh, larger than yourself, and it can be spirituality for sure, but it can also just be like I do this really hard work of service to other people because it is how I, you know, it provides me a sense of belonging in the world and understanding that I'm here to lift other people up and, you know, interrupt trauma, whatever those things would be. So I think that's really great. And, you know, for me, like the, the evolution of all this has been, it's been interesting. And it's also been like, I would say mildly frustrating is 
you know, I started with this. I'm just like, well, I, I'm a funny guy, right? And you know, it's maybe a little early in the morning for me to be super funny, but um, but the you know, it started with happiness, and it started well, it started with uh, with laughter. And I was like, well, I want to understand laughter. I want to understand the power of comedy. And I started diving into neurochemistry and what happens in our brains during times of laughter. And then you can start unraveling all the different types of um, ways that we can trigger positive emotions other than laughter. And so our brain uh, hits us with those all day long. It's motivating behaviors. Uh, your brain is trying to motivate behaviors behind what's going to keep us alive and what's going to help us procreate because our brains want us to live and our brains want us to make more of us because we're awesome, right? And, um, but then there's all this other stuff that I started to, to get, you know, start figuring out uh, mastery and achievement and getting into flow state, all those things that don't necessarily just feel good, but they're opportunities for happiness that we can't ignore. So it's going through the really hard trainings resolving a really hard issue, whatever those things are that if we spend the time and if is important to look back on those moments, we can find happiness in those, you know, just like looking back on lived experiences, positive ones is nostalgic. You know, we can, we can relive those experiences and feel good about them. Right. So it, that's maybe the frustrating part. I was like, Oh man, it comes down to discipline, huh? All right, fine. I've got to be disciplined. I've got to keep pushing myself. Uh, okay. You know, great. Like, you know, and I think once you embrace those things, then uh, then you're you're unlocking other areas where you're just like, no, I'm just I'm just going for fun all day long. And you're like, oh, cheeseburgers and margaritas and trips on vacations, that's fine. That will provide you with happiness. It's it's a little bit fleeting, right? Because we can't go on vacations all the time, and then we get used to that. Like all we did was live on vacation. The excitement of that goes away. We adapt. Our brains adapt very significantly. So I, I think that's the other part of it is like diving into those harder parts and really. Uh, honoring the fact that there's an opportunity there and you shouldn't miss on that. You mentioned those five core elements. Can can you list those and sure. maybe explain sure. each one of them? Yeah, this comes from positive psychology. So it's um, uh, it's it's PERMA is how it's been put together by Dr. Martin Seligman, who's the founder of this back in the 90s. Um, uh, P is positive emotion. So understanding what triggers positive emotions how to bring more of that into your life and how to extend those moments of positive emotion because emotions are meant to be fleeting. They're triggered by chemistry, chemistry metabolizes, and then you go back to where you were. So, but we can figure out like what really lights us up. I love holding microphones. I like being front and center. How about doing that for a career? You know, having conversations like this, fun. This is work. All right, good. Um, e is engagement. So that's flow state that was put forward by the now passed on uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, about like what happens, um, Michael Jordan described it as being in the zone, right? So those moments where like you're just, you're doing something really hard, but it's like the challenge meets your abilities and he could just navigate things, time slows down, it feels effortless. And those, that's one of those moments where only in retrospect does it necessarily feel like happiness, right? Because in the moment, it's kind of neutral. You're just like in that moment and just immersed in it, right? And we can all think about that. I see a good guitar behind you. You know, that's one of those things you can pick it up to play for five minutes and an hour later, you're like, oh, why are my fingers hurting? Like, oh, because I've been playing for an hour and I, I didn't realize it. And now I'm late for something. And um, and then R in that PERMA model, P-E-R, is relationships. In the science of positive psychology, probably the most significant thing you can invest your time in is having really good relationships, having really supportive relationships. And I would say also removing the toxic relationships in your life. They can be unraveling for you, um, you know, and, and toxic relationships can be anything. They can be a, a challenging person that you work with, a challenging person in your family, a challenging person in your community or your neighborhood. 
Um, and you've got to fix those problems. You know, the, those toxic relationships can just unwind your brain in really powerful ways because our brains really are, we're wired to be socially connected. You know, we are, we are not meant to function in isolation. Introverts would disagree with me, um, but we are really meant to be social creatures. We grew up and our brains evolved in those situations. Um, M in that model is mastery, um, or sorry, it's meaning. Um, so meaning is that sense of belonging that we talk to, some connection to something bigger, service. And for me, it's like getting other focused. So I think the more we can, you know, this embers to excellence concept, like I think when we get out of embers and into excellence, that's where we quit worrying about ourselves. So whatever that is that's undermining you and making you worried about you all the time, your brain wants you to worry about you, but there's a point where it just doesn't make sense anymore and our brains don't know how to shut it off sometimes. Um, but that's where we can become other focused and, and work on other, focus on other people. And then that last one in that PERMA model is A, it's achievement. Um, it's just moving forward in life and doing good things. Our brains don't like us to be static. You know, our brains want us to try the next thing. Example, you know, pick up your guitar, you know, play the most basic thing that you've ever played in your life. You know, you're following along using an app or whatever. If you keep doing that for two years, you're going to put the guitar down because you're like, this is no longer challenging me. No, it's no longer fun. I don't feel like I'm moving forward. You know, so we want to progress in life. And, you know, maybe there's a whole metaphor on guitars we could play. I can sing for you if you want. <laughs> One of the things that you said, and it, it ties back to ACEs and, and PTSD. Uh, one of the things that I've personally struggled with and thought that, <laughs> I mean, I, I think a lot of times we tend to be our biggest critics. And um, one of the things that I, I've found about myself where I get really down on myself about is I, I tend to make things about me. Um, and, and it's from the, the research that's been done and, and it's, it's really connected to PTSD. Uh, it's that cognitive distortion aspect and uh, being being more aware when really somebody needs you to be present for them instead of making the situation about you and what you need it really makes that situation if you can focus your attention on somebody else's needs it really does make such a huge difference oh yeah um and just your own mental health. So it's kind of self-serving, but it it does uh, help others around us. So oh, absolutely. The well, and it's there's two things there that bubble up for me. One is that it's sometimes really hard to just listen without wanting to offer advice. And sometimes people just want to be heard. You know, and some people, you know, my girlfriend processes out loud. She tells me that I'm like, all right, I need to sit here for about five minutes before she's ready for me to say anything in response, because she's just like, it's swirling and it's chunking together. And it's, you know, the Tetris inside her brain is coming together. And, um, you know, and the other part is 
you know, we know that, it, and this is what's sometimes really surprising about what really makes us happy, is these acts of service and these acts of kindness towards people, these little small things can be really significant for the other person, of course, but just as much for us. So if you're having a really hard day yourself, they tell you, go do something nice for someone else that's got it worse than you. So you have a houseless person on the street, take them a bottle of water. You don't know if they need the bottle of water. It doesn't matter. Do something decent for that another human being. Hold a door open for someone. Tell someone that you appreciate them, whatever those things are. And those can be really helpful for us when we're in our own um, struggles, you know, that uh, turning outward towards other people. I, I talk a lot about that. Actually, I, I have different pieces in my book where I talk about this, these early civilizations, they kind of had it figured out. I mean, if you look at Stoic philosophy, where, I mean, just for an example, Marcus Aurelius talking about, you know, the, the beehive, you know, where what's good for the, the hive is good for the bee mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. And it really goes to that point of you know we're all connected and if we can add value to those around us we're going to be so much better off and it's really hard because these brains of ours are wired to put us first and we can constantly feel like we we don't have enough that i need that money i need that job i need that parking space you know I need that partner, I, whatever those things are. And it, it's, it's wiring this in here. And I think if we can get beyond that wiring and honor the fact that like, just be okay with what we have and be okay, you know, where we are. Recognizing that moving forward in life is important. So being static about whatever, you know, those things are, but it's hard because any, I think there's like this, this gap in there and that's where the world can try to control us a little bit if we're not careful between like, you know, what we really need and what the world tells us we need, you know, and I think that that's what creates a lot of division, a lot of divisiveness and a lot of me, me, me versus us. And I, there's real power in we. And again, we, you know, this is where these brains came from is that they functionally haven't changed in about five, 500,000 years. Our brains are about the same as what they were back then. We lived in small groups. We were genetically related to the people in those groups. Uh, we you know, 150 people, something like that. And now what we've come to see and what you were talking about with uh, Stoicism and Epictetus and Mar Marcus Aurelius um, really kind of comes full circle and like recognizing that we do better when we're in smaller groups because that's what our brains know and like. And we have really good research on the number of people that we can get to know really well and trust really well based on our interactions with them was important because we worked in a group. We were in these, you know, these small tribal groups that moved around together. Some of them, some of the people were related to us, even if they were aunts, uncles, cousins, all those things. And that's how we survived through that cooperation. And we had that cooperation came from a foundation of trust. That's why trust is so important to the human brain now. Um, and so that's a, you know, you kind of grasp onto something really big there about like getting beyond this self into other, you know, and, and that's, it's an ongoing challenge for all of us, you know, and uh, I think if we do that better, we can worry a, a lot less about ourselves. And of course, worry is not great for us anyway. One thing that I, I noticed, and I'm sure it would come up a, at some point, but I want to bring it up now. Yep. Um, I, I've noticed 
through reading about you, going through your website, seeing uh, talks that you've done, a, a lot of, I, I guess it's a key part of maybe your presentations or your, your speeches is that, um, that focus on the 40. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I saw, you know, uh, kind of a descriptive image that you use and it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it would be cool to share that with, with the people listening. Focus on the 40 is kind of the name of all the programs that I do. They fall under that. And it comes from some really good work that was in the book, How of Happiness, that came forward by Sonia Lubomirsky a while ago. And what they, they did, we had, you know, and a lot of people don't realize this, but we have these massive data sets on human happiness. We have them all over the world and we have them now over time. And so they, you know, every year they put out the world's happiest city, the world's happiest country, and they can tease out, and this is the cool work of Dan Buettner from Blue Zones, of like where the happiest places are in the world and then why are those places so happy? And so his research is into that and he's kind of a reverse engineered what makes people the happiest or in those communities. And then, you know, you can try to shape your life around those behaviors. So for me, a lot of walking, a lot of biking, trying to eat healthier because eating healthy really does impact, you know, how you feel and how you um, are in the world. Um, <clears throat> a lot of connection, a lot of small, um, small group connections, a lot of little things. I think that's what was really hard about the pandemic. It's like those little interactions were taken away from us and those really do add up. And, um, and but what we also know is we can buoy up how, how happy we feel in the moment, right? We can do that through positive emotion. We can watch a funny video. We can do something nice for someone. We can hug someone. You know, all those sort of things give us a, a boost of positivity and positive emotion. But focus on the 40 is really focused around what they know about overall happiness of a human being. And so a lot of people, I think, will misconstrue where happiness really lies and how significant, how significant or insignificant certain parts of that happiness are. So in a, in a given day, on a scale of one to 10, if your happiness is a seven, you're doing pretty good. Seven's pretty good. Moments of elation and joy are 10. Those are fleeting. Those don't last very long. And it's okay. Ha, ah, that was super funny. That was a great joke. I went to a comedy show. 20 minutes after that comedy show, you come back to where you were. You went from a 10 to a seven. It's good. How we wind up at that seven is what's really where the magic is, right? And so what we know is about 50% of where that number of seven is or where that number starts out for us, we can shift it over time up to a seven uh, or we can shift it down, but that's genetic. So that comes from mom and dad and that's got a lot of genetic linkage to it, about 50%. The other 10% or the other 50% is where we can play. What we would misunderstand and maybe add too much value to is that 10% of our happiness is caused by life circumstance. So those big data sets show that really only 10% of our happiness is affected by any of the following added together. Are you male or female? What's your gender? What's your religion? What's your uh, ethnicity? Where do you live in the world? How much money do you make? Are you married? Um, all of those things together, we would think, well, I'll just be happy when I'm rich. No, you won't. Like, and there's plenty of studies to show you'll be happier for a little while when you take the stress away of money in your life, but then you go back to where you were. And that happens, you know, over a series of a few months, <coughs> excuse me. So we adapt to those situations. So long story short, the reason it's called focus on the 40 is that 50% is genetic. 10% is life circumstance. 
those affect our happiness and put us where we are. And then the rest of it is intentional actions that we can take every day. That's the 40% we control. And that's where you should put your focus. And so thinking, oh, I'll be happier when I get the next TV. I'll be happier when I get the next job. I'll be happier when I get married. I'll be happy when I get divorced. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when my kids move out of my house. You know, any of those things, um, you know, we can put our energy towards focusing on the wrong sorts of things. And so I try to redirect people towards stuff that will really make them happy. Silly, you know, those little acts of kindness that seem so silly and insignificant are actually really significant, you know, pushing through the hard stuff, significant, serving other people, significant, all those things. So that's where it comes from. I believe you put together some tools to help people focus on that 40%, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a workbook on there. Um, it's called the head to toe happiness and it focuses on a lot of pieces. You know, when we think about what makes us happy in life, there's a lot of big parts to it. And you can look at what's your social situ you know, situation. And, and there's a, a simple rubric on there called the pillars of the happy life. And it just looks at life in eight, eight different facets. You know, how's your love life? Is that good or bad? You know, uh, how's your uh, community? Do you love where you live? You should really love where you live. Is your community an expression of your values? Um, do you have good family and social network? Do you have a fulfilling career? Uh, are you healthy and fit so that you can do the things in life you want to do and your health doesn't hold you back? And when I talk about happiness and movement, and all those things, I'm not talking, I don't think everybody should be running marathons. That's not what I talk about with movement that will stimulate happiness in your life. I'm talking about like, you know, can you get up out of a chair okay? For a lot of people, that's a huge challenge because they have underlying issues. Um, but can you get outside? Can you move? Can you, you know, do the things that you want to do? And Dan Buechner's work talks about, you know, natural movement and that the body is meant to move a lot. So we should both get up and move after this podcast ends. Um, and it's little things because our bodies were built to, we were tending a garden, we were managing our flock, we were walking from A to B. Now we get in cars and we sit in chairs and we sit in front of TVs and it's just not great for our body and for our health. Um, but anyway, the, um, you know, the whole point there is to kind of figure out where you are, what's really good in your life. And you should try to maintain those things really, you know, well. Like, so if you have a really good loving relationship in your life with a partner, awesome. Loving relationship with your mom or your dad, fantastic. Loving relationship with your child, fantastic. A best friend, pay attention to all those things. Again, that fits into that relationship part. It's really, really, really important. Um, and if you have something else that's lower, why is it low? You know, all right, well, do I, do I have fun in my life? You know, do I have something that like after work is done, not that work should be the focus of our day, but do I have fun with what I'm doing? You know, so for me, I perform improv, I play hockey, I ride my bike, I fly fish, I rest. I look forward to all those things. You know, I look forward to being able to do those things. And, you know, the part of that overall assessment is also to say, okay, what's high, what's low, and what can I do about those things? You know, so if your community is really low, it's not a place that you want to live, it doesn't provide you with happiness, you have an idea of what it would, why you would be happier in another place, if you put some work towards that, that's a hard one. You know, you're in a house, you'd have to sell the house. If you have a job, you'd have to figure out a new job, you know, all those pieces versus I should have more friends in my life. All right, well, that'll take time. It doesn't cost you a whole lot of money either, you know, so invest in those things. That's that. What do you believe, and, and I'm sure that you have a belief on this, and it's probably formed through experience and, you know, personal knowledge through the research that you've done, but 
what do you believe is the most important factor for us to focus on if we want to improve our level of happiness? Well, I feel like I'm beating the same drum over and over again. I think it's relationships, you know? And again, my name is Anthony Paponi. There's Italian roots there. I told you good relationships are important. I told you getting rid of toxic relationships is important. If you need to get rid of people, I can help you. It's yeah. Italian, it's what we do. <laughs> Cash transactions only. Um, but you know, I, I think that that's a big part of it. And I think when we talk about relationships, hey, this phrase is really important, life enhancing relationships. So it's, we have to fight our own inertia around, well, I wanna ride my mountain bike. Okay, that's good for my health. It puts me outside. It gives me positive emotions. It makes me feel good. It makes me engage with the outdoors, right? All these positives, I know that. I still have to go get on my bike. I still have to put it on my car to drive to a place or you know whatever that is. So what can make that easier for me? Well, a regular Tuesday commitment to ride with my buddies and go have a beer afterwards. Like there's a lot of wins built into that situation, right? And one of those is this little micro moment of accountability that helps me do something that I want to do anyway in my own life because I'm accountable to someone else. Why coaching is so valuable. You know, hey, you can be vulnerable in a place where you can't be vulnerable with other people typically. Um, I think we should open up to vulnerability. I appreciate you bringing ACEs up because that was a good conversation for people to hear more and more. Like, hey, like this is out there and this is real and we've all experienced this and you can't ignore it, right? So anyway, I think those... Um, I think those relationships are really important. So, you know, having someone that helps you live the life that you want to be living is valuable. Having your own discipline around it, sure. Um, discipline is a great thing. Some people have uh, pounds of it. Some people have ounces of it. I have ounces of it, right? And so, um, you know, I, I can be more of the go with the flow kind of person. And I know that's not quite true, but, um, but it's just easier in life if the things you want, if you have other people in your life that want those things as well. If you're an alcoholic, don't go hanging out at bars, right? Like you're not getting the support that you want from the people in those situations because it's misaligned, you know? And, and so you just have to find those folks that, that will bring those things into your life. And so I think that's really important. One of the things that I, I want to go back to, uh, I, I believe it's connected to the ACEs study, is that sure. that 50% where it's genetics you know, it's what we get from our parents, our ancestors, you know, our, our, our families, where we come mm -hmm. from. One of those, uh, one of the, the, I guess, questions in that ACEs survey is, you know, do you have close family members with mental illness? And that's one of the boxes I checked. It, you know, predisposes you to, you know, either depression or anxiety, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, it's just something that, that that's the cards that you've been dealt and how you address it, I believe is in that 40%. Yeah. Okay. And 
Well, and also those, and you spoke to this earlier, you spoke to kind of those resiliency factors around it, right? So uh, for me, unstable childhood, you know, moved around a lot from the time I was five to 12. We lived in low-income housing. We lived on food stamps because those were the thing back in the day when I was a kid. Um, not the greatest environment to grow up in as far as influences around me, like people that were setting expectations for me. I wasn't finding it there. Fortunately, I didn't need it there. You know, I still had my dad in my life. Um, even though my parents were divorced and I had my paternal grandparents in my life. They're now passed on 10 years now. Um, but they were a huge resiliency factor for me or a buffering factor around those aces. They had a stable household from the time I was, they lived in it before I was born and they lived on it until they're, they're, they passed on. It was a place of stability for me. It was a place of consistency. It was a place of, you know, the nuclear family kind of, you know, feel of that situation. It was just really valuable. And it was, I tell this to people all the time, they set really high expectations for me. I was the oldest male grandchild of theirs. Of course, I was their favorite. And I didn't know that college was optional until I was a sophomore in college. You know, like that was sort of the, you will graduate from high school and you will go to college because none of us got to go to college. You know, you will be that, you know, I'll say the golden child because I am definitely more of a bronze child than a gold child. But um, but that was really valuable for me is that somebody set those expectations and then unconditional love, you know, in the capacity that, you know, grandparents are great for that. And, and I think we were raised in those situations in the past a lot more where we had multi-generational households and, and, you know, grandparents are in a much better place, even just through seasoning from living life to be great as grandparents to a grandchild versus, a, you know, the, the young, like we're able to have kids at 15, right? biologically able to produce kids at 15. I don't know what you were doing when you were 15, but there was no way I should be making children and raising children when I was 15, nor when I was 21, nor when I was 25, probably not 30. And a lot of people would say, I'm still not qualified to raise a child now. And that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but I think we've broken some of those dynamics of, okay, like, Hey, you're 15, you're young enough to make it. You're, you're mature enough, physically mature enough to make a child you're incapable of raising that child because you're still growing and evolving and your brain is still doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But you can continue to go work in the fields while the grandparents tend to the children, you know? And then I think that's more of the dynamic that probably shaped who we are and how our brains function and why we evolved the way we did to, to even be able to make kids. So, you know, that's, I think that's been broken a little bit. And um, I, I think seeing that come back would be a value. Like. I think, you know, we all, you know, my, my parents are now hitting 70 and I putting them in a home without purpose and without supporting family and around the little things that keep their brains moving and thinking and, and pushing, I, I think it's not good for them. You know, I don't think the static situations like that are great for our brains. And, and so I, I just, um, I think we, you know, need to rethink a little bit of some of the societal constructs that we have these days that, that don't serve anybody involved. You know, they're not great for us. Through your research and experience and what you talk about and teach, what is stress? What causes success? And what are character strengths? Stress is the body's, the the brain's perception that something going on around us is bad for our survival. You know, and, and one thing that's really important for us to understand 
and we think about fight or flight a lot, right? And PTSD can trigger fight or flight. Um, but stress is a message from our brain saying, what's going on around us right now is perceived as bad for our survival. Our brain weighs equitably physical threat, person approaching me with a knife or a spear, right? That can kill me. That's bad for my survival. Social threats. I've done something to get ostracized and kicked out of my group, kicked out of my workplace, kicked out of my community. Again, remember, cave person up here says, if I get kicked out of my group and I have to survive on my own in the wild, I won't make it. You know, we only survive through working together. And so I think our brain, you know, the challenge there is, is the perception piece. So the world today compared to the world back then they're drastically different, right? And so our brain can perceive things as being really bad for us, um, as bad for our survival, and it's not important um, sometimes. And so I would say that stress is, it's information and not a directive, you know? So if you can pay attention to stress in the moment and say, why am I feeling stress? Oh, because I messed up at work. And then here's the pattern that goes, right? If you get let this go too long. Oh, I messed up at work. I didn't get the thing done on time. Uh, I'm no longer going to be considered a good employee. And when they lay people off, they're going to choose me first. And when I get laid off, I'm not going to get a job. And then I'm not going to get another job because I get laid off in a bad work environment. And then I'm going to lose my house. My wife's going to leave me. The dog's going to leave. And then I'm going to have to write a country song, you know? And then, you know, so that's like how our brain can get, we call it catastrophize in those situations. Now, there's really good research out there by Kelly McGonigal who says, if you think stress is bad for you, stress is bad for you. If you think stress is good for you, stress is good for you. And so if we can see stress as a motivator, we can untangle the message and then see stress as a motivator for taking action around something, it's good. Now, the other part of stress is, let's call stress connected to negative emotion, right? So there's a hot stove in front of you and you put your hand on the hot stove. How long are you gonna leave your hand there, right? Ideally not very long yeah. because it's bad for you. And I think that's also a part of that there is like in the moment, when we feel these negative emotions, as quickly as we would take our hand away from a hot stove, we say, I understand the message. Thank you. I got this. Then you make the right decision, right? Whatever that is, versus letting stress be that thing that just like winds us up, you know? And the, you know, the, the big part of stress there too is, and this wasn't in the what is stress, but, and I'll stop here, but is what happens when we're stressed? You know, that's that fight or flight piece. And I, I, you know, this part of our brain up here, the prefrontal cortex is like where all the magic happens. This is the executive function. This is all the processing. This is all the data comes in and we can make sense of the world. That can be turned on or you can turn on the limbic system. This is our fight or flight. It's the oldest part of our brain. It's meant to keep us alive. And it, I call this the mullet brain. Um, you know, and this is the old part of our brain here. And, you know, don't let the mullet drive what you do, right? And so if you can turn one of these on only, if you can only turn one of these on at a time, you know, this one is valuable at times, right? The, the bus coming at you is honking the horn. Fight or flight says, jump, get out of the way. That's a good thing. Uh, but if this, is, if this is turned on by stress and you're living in a world full of stress and you let stress turn this on all the time, then you're self-focused, this turns off and you're not doing the best that you can do. You know, you're, not, you're not using the best part of your brain. So that's stress. I'll stop there because there's still two more questions, Dave. You ask good questions. I like it. Well, while we're on stress, uh, I, I like the fact that you call it the mullet because you know, <laughs> like the Billy Ray Cyrus effect. Uh, 
Uh, well, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, you know, like the, my influences when my young life was was uh, hair bands and uh, and acid wash jeans and mullets, you know. And uh, so <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus for sure had his own had his own niche in country. So the um, the limbic system and it's it's that key component to that can help people with PTSD understand what's happening to yep. them, um, and there's that that third component it, it's fight fight or fleet, uh, freeze yep. um, that freeze component because I think a lot of times we mainly think about the fight or flight and I've experienced this where the stress level is so high and I'm you know my background is in the fire service and I've been in a lot of situations where just chaos if you aren't well prepared to re-engage the frontal part of your brain when you get hijacked you can experience that freeze mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how long it is if you know that that happened to you there is a level of guilt that comes with it when there was what you perceive to be a duty to act or a responsibility to respond in some heroic fashion and you didn't mm. there's there's a level of guilt and that can actually amplify the effects of ptsd but understanding that it's something that's very natural, it's that, that spotted fawn in the tall grass, when there's danger, they freeze, they stay really still because now the predator can't see me. Yep. It's, it's completely natural. The only way to overcome that is through a lot of hardcore training you know putting yourself in those shitty situations over and over and over again so to be instinct. so i there is good stress there's bad stress you know there's the like you were talking about being in the zone when you're performing at a high level and you're trained for something and your body and mind engages and you hit that peak performance level, you don't, that just, that doesn't just happen. There is stress applied to you and the, the situation around you that gets you to that level. Um, but then if, more and more stress that you are not prepared for or not equipped to deal with in a, a productive manner or an effective manner that can be overwhelming. And if that happens over and over and over again, it's almost like your frontal brain and your reptilian brain disconnect and you're in mm -hmm. that, that heightened state all the time ready to right. respond to whatever risk and yep. it can be damaging to relationships and 
your life and decision-making processes and all that. I don't know. I felt compelled that maybe somebody listening that has experienced that freeze component, maybe can feel better about themselves and know that it's natural. I think you frame that really well. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't have that experience in my life with like having those, those big moments, right. Of like having to make that big choice. And so I can't, can't speak to what happens processing after the fact on that. The part that I can speak to is what you, you mentioned the zone again. And I think that's really important is, you know, through training, we get ourselves in a way uh, habituated to those moments. And so that we don't, we it's, there's magic in that choice of stimulus and response. And there's a magic in that little gap there. You can choose bad, you can choose good, or in a way you don't even choose, right? Like you've habituated yourself to, this is what I do in this situation because now it's just like, boom, 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 you know, like, boom, here we go. Um, and the way that that whole zone is flow state, right? That, that the way the whole thing works is, is we experience the zone or flow state in, in different ways of different aspects of our lives. And you use the word chaos, right? And so we can handle increasing levels of chaos like a Jedi by continuing to, to, to build our abilities. And so it, you have to focus on that's, that's that part of that, the hard parts of happiness of like, by getting better at this one thing and growing my ability, you know, then I can meet a different challenge with ease, right? And so go back to your guitar that's behind you there. You know, you play this one little song, you get really good at it, right? You've grown your ability to that point. That's level two. And then you go try to play a level 12 song on your favorite app out there. And the world melts down around you. And playing guitar is not fun. It's stressful because you're doing it all wrong, right? You don't have the skills and the abilities to do that. When you match the ability, this it, in my mind, I use this a lot when I do my presentations of the ability is on the scale this way. And then the challenge level is over here. As you build up these abilities, then where you find that flow state and where you find that ease and where you can navigate chaos like other people cannot navigate, that's where you're in flow, you know. And so for I, I, I play a lot of hockey out here in Oregon and a lot of the guys are um, they're, they're not seasonal, but they have a lot of time off. They're smoke jumpers in the summer. And one of the guys uh, does the actual smoke jumping where he'll go onto you know, to a fire situation. But then he also navigates, he also manages the fire response the, uh, from the air. So he's got jets up here and helicopters here and small planes here. And they're all in different fly spaces and all that sort of stuff. If I were to step into that role, everything would, you know, there'd be more fires because I'd have things colliding in the sky, right? Um, he didn't get there to that point of being able to navigate that. Like, it wasn't just like, hey, here's your new job, figure it out as you go. I mean there was a process there and what I would look at and what I would see in, in managing that process is just chaos to him. It's structured and ordered and he knows to move this here and this goes here, you know, and it calms down. Now, every Jedi, and if you've ever watched any of the star Wars stuff, you know, like they have that ability of just like, they can, you know, see forward in time, right? So if you can see forward in time and you can predict what's coming to you, that certainly helps, right? If you're reactive to everything in the moment, because you couldn't see what was coming, and other people are like, you should have seen that coming, Anthony. I'm like, yeah, probably should. Sorry. Um, you know, but 
even Jedi's get overwhelmed at that point. And then at some point, because there's just too much, right? And they can't do it by themselves, right? And so I think that that's where like that, you know, honoring the fact of like, hey, they still have growth to do, you know, and the more they build their abilities, then the next version of chaos is something that they can handle. So I, I think that's part. And, and actually, I think that kind of led us into that, like what causes success, right? You know, and I, I think just continuing to grow our abilities can certainly lead towards that because then we can handle more and more. And and a big part of what I do is like, like, what are you really great at? You know, like what's really good about you? And you spoke to that before, you know, of saying like, you know, I, I'm really hard on myself. Well, that's okay. You know, to a point it's okay, right? We should always push ourselves. Um, it's when you're just like, I'm no good at anything and I'm terrible. That's, you know, that's moving down this downward spiral. But understand what you're really great at is a big part of it. Understand what you're really not great at is another part of it. Like, how do you undermine yourself? Like, how do you undermine your greatness by not being good to other people, not understanding your blind spots, not being able to flex behavior that you get really rigid in your behavior? You know, those all intertwine together. And I think that that can be a big part of like, you know, building all that together so that like, life throws you the next curveball, the next new normal, the next crisis comes forward. You got it. Like you're going to figure it out because you figured out the other things, you know, and, and that's a big part of it. The other part about, and this is a really um, for anybody out there that would love to pursue this, Sean Aker did a lot of work on, uh, he's a Harvard researcher, did a lot of work on like happiness and success. We know they're linked together, but which one comes first? Like, will I be happy when I'm successful? And he says, nope you'll be successful when you're happy. Like really focus on being happy. And then when you do that and you come in with positive emotions, again, positive emotions doesn't trigger this, positive emotions keeps this moving, uh, this part of our brain. And so that's a big part of it. And um, so that's really a big, a big piece there. And then to kind of answer your question, this took us 10 minutes, but I like it, um, was this whole character strengths piece, like really understanding, like, again, this, this, you know, this hand out there for those people that may just be listening in of, What's, what's the greatness, you know, like, what about you is unique? What's, what, how do you default to in the world? What, what don't you see in yourself that's really great and unique about you? And so there's tons of assessments out there. And I think that's the biggest thing of like, for us to move forward is to, to be really, to honor really where we are, what's good about us. And then like, what's next for us? And then like, what are the things that we can really use more often for me? You know, humor, kindness, social intelligence, gratitude, real easy for me to do it. That's how I default in the world. I'm not saying to focus on your weaknesses, but if you can understand what those weaknesses are or where those deficiencies are, then you can lean into situations and say, all right, I know this is how I would do this. I don't know that it's the best way to do this. Who else in my world do I need to bring in to support me in this? You know, and that's really great in workplaces, obviously, of, of recognizing that we should put people in the right chairs and that we should invite in challenge from other people because it will help us become better. It will help the team become better. The dynamics are better, all that. So is that character strengths yeah that's in part character strengths and so there's been a lot of work done on like understanding what those character strengths are there are 24 of them they came from and i love that you like spoke to to marcus aurelius in eastern philosophy you know a lot of this stuff has been around intuitively as how we think about the world from you know the wisdom of the ancients and now we've been able to kind of use modern day science to say oh yeah they were right about a lot of this stuff you know like they here's why they were right you know and so character strengths has been developed by, um, it's, uh, was developed uh, by oh, several positive psychologists and their names are escaping me right now, but they break them down and said, there's 24 of them and you can do the assessment, it's, for, it's free. And it's just really understanding like, and I said them before of like, 
what does that look like? You know, for, well, for me, it's like humor is number one, social intelligence, gratitude, uh, kindness are all really towards the top for me. And what that re- means is like in a given day and given situations, that's just kind of how I show up, you know, and using those as, and they're, you know, a unique mix. I mean, there's a million, there's millions of combinations with only 24, you know, you, you and I may share one of our top five character trends might be the same, you know, uh, I would say social intelligence, probably pretty high for you. You ask really good questions. You really get into the moment. Like you, you've been really listening and processing and then pushing that back in different ways. And I think that takes a high degree of social intelligence. Um, it's how we default in the world. And we should try to use those more often. So even back when we were talking in a big way about like what makes us happy, and we talked about positive emotions. Um, it's easy, it's fun, it's enjoyable. It lights us up to use our character strengths in everyday life. So we trigger more positive emotions for that. Just like an act of kindness is good for the recipient and the giver. You know, humor, when I make someone else laugh, they laugh. I feel good about making someone else laugh. I feel socially connected. So that's kind of the work of character strengths. It's really built around understanding what those are and then trying to intentionally put those into action in daily life. And then also like at times honoring, like we've talked about it before, my lower character strengths, one of them is prudence making good decisions in the moments because it might be really funny, but it might not be a very prudent decision. And I've got great stories about interactions with police officers because of such things. (laughs) Initially you said you didn't know if you could tie those together, but I think you did. I I think the, the stress component is a component of success, how you deal with stress. And then those character strengths, which ones you've developed over time and and how you apply those in your life can definitely lead to success. I think you're the one that tied them all together. I just spoke for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> We've, it's, this, this has been a great conversation and 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 we we've covered a whole a whole bunch um is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is is pretty important to share with the listeners uh just from your perspective talking about happiness is there anything that we didn't hit that well i i think one thing in and I think your terminology around this is failure to fuel, you know, and, and I think a big part of anything that we're talking about doing here, like, I, I don't want to talk about my emotions. Like, you know, if that's kind of where you, you hit on these things and you're like, oh no, like, oh, I don't want to deal with that sort of stuff. I don't like, I don't, I don't want to talk to my partner who's a, a clinical social worker about my feelings and my ACE scores. Like, yeah, that's really uncomfortable territory for a lot of people. And I would say that, you know, step into that discomfort and just if you have to like when you're stepping into it just dipping a toe into it that's okay you know you don't have to like run full in and run out in the streets and say i have an ace score of six you know like that's that's impossible for some people you know and that's okay you know and i think if you can just step a little bit into that you know what happens is as we kind of grow and we expand outward in, in anything that we're experiencing in our life it just becomes who we are, you know? So if you do it 1% differently today 
and 1% differently tomorrow. And let, those add up over time. And then they're just who we are. That's how we default to the world, you know? And with any of these things too, is there's really uh, great work out there by Carol Dweck on fixed mindset and growth mindset. I'm either good at something or I'm not good at something, or I can become better at things through effort, you know? And the difference in those mindsets is really important. So if you fail and make a mistake, that's okay. Failure is feedback. Take the feedback and move on. And you have to be okay with that. And that comes with that, like, if we all we do is stay in the realm of things that we feel safe and comfortable with, there's not a whole lot of growth in this, you know, just except for just like living, you know, and you just get seasoned, you get wiser just from being, you know, older um, and having experiences. Let's say people just need to be okay with failure and be okay with it not feeling comfortable and being okay with, you know, just the awkwardness that can come from those moments of like telling someone you love them, telling someone at work, they did a good job, you know, like whatever those things are, you know, and just give yourself grace to fail a little bit, you know, in those situations. And you'll, over time, it'll just become natural for you and, and just who you are. What just came to mind when, when you were speaking was, uh, have you heard of that speech that Teddy Roosevelt did? Uh, it, I want to say it was in Paris, might've been, it was somewhere in France. Um, it, and it's just a, a section of his speech that he gave that is referred to as the man in the arena. Oh yeah, but keep going. So a, a lot of my listeners might be familiar with it, but I, if you don't mind, I would like to read it real quick, just to kind of end on that note. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I feel like that's almost exactly what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, without, without trying, without putting ourselves out there, without feeling that discomfort, we never know what we're capable of. And maybe that capacity for enduring pain is one of those things that we're capable of, <laughs> you know? Um, you never know what you can go through until you've gone through it. Yep. Teddy said it probably better than you and I have said it. <laughs> he might've had a speech writer too. Um, no, I think that was, that's a fantastic excerpt from that too, you know? And I, for me, like, I do a lot of 
you know, a lot of work in this realm, but one of the things that I really look at is um, it's a really great visualization called the wiser elder self. It's just a quick meditation, mindfulness activity. You go meet yourself in the future, 20 years out, 30 years out, a wiser elder version of yourself, not old, not like feeble, still vibrant, but like all that wisdom is still there and accessible, right? And in that conversation with your wiser elder self, a lot of things can come forward of like just awareness and insights, you know, what's going to matter, right? Is the outside noise outside the arena really going to matter? If you know what you're doing is right, do it, you know? Uh, what's not going to matter, you know? Like is, is money gonna matter? Is wealth gonna matter? Is, you know, whatever. And I don't mean that I'm not harping on materialism. Um, what's not gonna matter is important, right? And then if you knew, you know, then what you know, sorry, if you know now what you could know then in the future, what would that message be? Like what clarity would it give you around your purpose and around how you just live every little moment in your life? And, and for me, in one of those visualizations, something really powerful came forward of just like my wiser elder self handed me a gift. And I didn't know it was coming. And I opened it up and it was this really cool, like leather bound kind of book. And in that book was all the stories of people I had helped in my life and served in my life. Some people I knew, family members, some people I've worked with, uh, people that I'd engaged with, friends, right, that I've supported over the years. And then all the stories of like the stuff that I didn't even know mattered at the time. You know, the little interactions and the little things that you did that, that impacted a child's life. Boys and Girls Club is one of my favorite missions in the world. And I think it's because it, it has that sort of impact. I'll never get to know the impact on the stories of those kids that have been benefited through my involvement with the Boys and Girls Club per se. And it shouldn't matter, right? Because it's the right thing to do to lift up those that, that need lifting up in my eyes, you know? And um, so I think that's really been powerful for me. And I think it like it informs even just the little daily stuff and it fits in with my life and being like, you know, what's my, what's my top character strength? Well, it's humor, right? And well, how can I put that into action in everyday life, in big moments and small moments in what I do? And I take it as a personal responsibility for me to just be this little positive ripple in the pond of just like, if I can make somebody smile at the grocery store and if I can make somebody smile at the bank and I can make somebody smile walking down the street and just, even if it's not something super funny as much as just being like, hi, you know, we need more of that in the world. And that's all those little micro moments that I think can all add up. And I'm going to do it anyway, because it makes me feel good about what, you know, my involvement in the world. So, so yeah, I, good job, Teddy Roosevelt. That needs to be on my wall somewhere. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for us connecting uh, that we were able to have this conversation and, you know, just being able to share this um, with the people listening and, uh, and, you know, really, Thank you so much. And uh, for those listening, if anybody wanted to connect with you or employ your services, have you come speak to their organization? What is the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, my website is my name. So it's anthonypaponi.com and everything's on there. There's some um, some free resources as well. So if the stuff we talked about, um, there's some virtual classes on there that are free, that were recorded, they're available to anybody. And then also uh, a really good one on stress. 
you know, that if, if you find like stress is undermining what you're doing and you get in your own head too much about things, it's about how to like undermine what I call the big three. So all of that stuff is on there. And yeah, thanks. This has been a really great conversation. Thanks so much, Dave. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a link to your website in the show notes and it, on my website, I have a, a section for resources and there's a, um, a section for mental health resources. And I, I think that, you know, maybe some people aren't ready to dive right into ACEs or <clears throat> going to the VA for treatment of PTSD or going, you know, there's all these different resources for PTSD, but maybe people aren't, you know, that, you know, they're not at that level, but could use some help. If you don't mind, I, I'd like to link your, your website there in that section. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I, I've gone through your website. I think that there's a lot of good resources in there that um, some of the listeners I think could, could benefit from. And I've just, and I wouldn't, uh, looking at the analytics on my website, a lot of people go to that section of my website and um like pretty happy about that you know it's all free stuff and it's all ways for people to connect with the resources that they need and uh, yep. so if if i can send some people your way i i think they'd be in good hands so thanks yeah I, i'm here to be of service you know I, I think that's great that you're doing all that for people and you know like anything i Meeting people where they are is really important sometimes too, you know, so jumping into ACEs, not for everybody, you know, and I even had to come around to that at the right time, you know, of being like, what is this? And do I want to know that? And do I want to really dive in there? You know, and for a lot of people, if it's, if it starts in one spot and people have energy about something, some good positive energy about like, oh, I really want to understand my community. I really want, like whatever, any of those aspects, whatever, if it creates like an opening for exploration into those areas, that's great. So, you know, whatever it is for people that, that resonates with them, I think that's, there's real power in that. Again, man, thank you so much. I, yeah, I really it. appreciate this. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.